the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy and JOSPT are joining forces to bring you the virtual Sports PT Conference on Friday the 3rd and Saturday the 4th of November. This is the premier online event for sports physical therapists in 2023. The conference blends the best in clinical practice with the latest in research so that you are in the best position to help the patients and athletes you work with. From what to do to reduce injury risk to top strategies for boosting the athlete's performance, the 2023 online conference has you covered. Check out the link in the show notes to see the full conference program and to secure your ticket. If you purchase a ticket before the end of August, you can take advantage of a $50 discount. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today I'm handing over the JOSPT Insights reins to some of the world's leading clinician researchers in the field of hip morphology and hip pain. At JOSPT, we're really proud to work with the Yahir Collaborative to advance research and clinical practice for young people with hip pain. Over the coming months, you're going to hear more about what's new in the research and understanding of hip pain, including how it develops and how to best treat it, all geared towards helping you best help the patients and athletes you work with. Dr. Joshua Heary, sports physiotherapist and research fellow at La Trobe University in Melbourne, has the hosting duties today. Over to you, Josh. My name is Joshua Heary and I'm thrilled to host this ongoing collaboration between JOSPT and the Young Athletes Hip Research Collaborative, where we aim to bring you podcasts that improve your knowledge about managing hip pain in young active people. Joining me today to discuss his own personal journey with hip pain is Luke Kearney. Luke is a former Gaelic footballer from Donegal and Ireland. For those of you who are not familiar with Gaelic football, it is one of Ireland's national games and players are amateur athletes who spend their time balancing either work or full-time study with training which can demand up to 30 hours per week. At the age of 24 and in the prime of his Gaelic career, Luke was forced to retire due to significant hip injuries, which ultimately required five separate hip surgeries. Since recovering from those operations, Luke has started competing in rowing, both nationally and internationally, and he has recently represented Ireland at the World Beach Offshore Championships in Portugal in 2021. As clinicians who manage young active people with hip pain, it is vital we understand their perspective and what it is like to have a condition that prevents them from playing and performing in their chosen sport. And I think listening to Luke's story will provide you with that insight. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Josh, for having me. Where I thought we might start today is maybe you can give the listeners a bit of an overview of, of about yourself and, and your history and I suppose your journey to date and your experience with living with hip pain. I'm 31 years of age, living in Dublin in the Republic of Ireland from a place called Donegal in the northwest. Currently I'm an international rower, but my background in sport would be elite Gaelic football. But unfortunately I was forced to retire at the age of 24 with uh, multiple hip injuries. I've managed to recover from major surgery and rear-ending injury to find a new sport. When did you start to first experience hip pain during your, your Gaelic football career? I suppose the, the pinnacle is to play for your inter-county team. So being from Donegal, Donegal was the top team, you know, would be the, you know, the elite team in the 
in the region. But growing up, you also represent your area, which is your local club. And then you would move on to the underage structures. And then also, I would have played for my university at the time. So I suppose the first time of actually having hip and groin problems was probably between 18 and 19. And at that stage, you know, you were playing for 17s. So you're playing for your, you know, your club underage teams, the senior team, the same with the Donegal setup. So been the under 21s and Donegal seniors, and then also your university. You know, you had maybe five or six different managers, you know, all wanting you to play for their teams. Across those different teams you play for, you're obviously having interactions with different healthcare professionals over over that journey. So, like, if you can imagine, like, Donegal's three hours away from in, from Dublin. So that was a big thing for me was that I was in university in Dublin. So I would have had, you know, one manager there, one strength conditioner, one physio. Three hours up the road, you had your under-21s, the same setup. And then you had your inter-county team, the senior team with a manager uh, and the exact same. So you're dealing with maybe... You know, on a given week, there's nine people, for example, from three teams. And then at the weekend, you might be playing for your club. And then that's another group of individuals. The thing is, and I suppose people need to remember, the GA is is elite in terms of the sport. 50,000 to 80,000 matches. It's shown across countries all around the world. But the players aren't paid. I think there was a study done in, in Ireland. In a given week, they were given 32 hours to their senior inter-county team. So if you're given 32 to one team and then you have a university team that's giving you a scholarship for your education, they're expecting you to play for them. And then you're also representing your club on top of that. So, you know, everyone wanted a, a you know, part of, part of you to perform. In terms of your interaction with the different clinicians across the different teams, was there confusion around the diagnosis or your the underlying reason for your hip and groin pain? It wasn't really until, uh, you know, two years, you know, later when I was like 22, when I had been in a, a season with the first team, you know, so you can imagine you're, you're st- I was still living in, in Dublin and um, I was traveling back to Donegal three times a week. So that's six hours in a car journey to back up to university. So I think a lot of what was happening was there was an adequate recovery. The training loads weren't being managed. There was a breakdown of communication between the different managers. And at the end of it all was the pressure that was put on me. A lot of people don't realize when you're 19, 20, playing for all these teams, you, you're trying to please everyone and you're not looking out for yourself and you think you're doing good by not saying no or not listening to your body. And it's kind of hard to properly recover when you are spending so much time traveling. But I think for me, the big thing was that my underlying issues weren't correctly picked up at a young age. And I would imagine that would have been quite a frustrating process from your perspective, having obviously a number of different people involved in your care, not necessarily having a diagnosis. Would would you mind sort of elaborating how, how that process was for you as an athlete? To scroll it back, like I retired at 24. My last game was when I was 22. And that was the All-Ireland final against Kerry, you know, which is the pinnacle of any inter-county athlete's career. We had been on the go for 
probably the guts of nine months training, you know, a full preseason where you were doing 12 to 13 kilometers per session. And, you know, that's really when I knew I was in a lot of pain. Like I was not fit to walk after sessions of struggling to get upstairs. At that stage, you know, you weren't the top athletes. The same attention that was needed was probably just paid down because you weren't a star player. And I think that was one of the most frustrating things for me was like, I'm there shouting at the physios, the doctors that I'm having these issues and they know that it's there and that it's something that I'm managing. But I've been managing now for two or three years without getting proper answers. And then there was a reluctancy to do further research into the actual pain, you know, be it an MRI, be it to go and see an actual hip specialist. And because you're, I suppose, in the middle of a season, that duty of care wasn't prioritized. Looking back now, we're 10 years on, a lot has changed in terms of sports science. But back then, you know, the basic human needs of asking if someone's okay or pulling them aside or basic communication between all the different managers, the different, you know, physios, that basic understanding and sharing details and information. You know, if you had the group of people that were meant to be looking after you, actually communicating, I would be still playing now. And that's, you know, that's hard to take. So just thinking back in time, do you think the communication element of of that care process was probably one of the things that maybe let you down at that that point in time? 100%. We obviously can blame, say, sports science and, you know, education and probably maybe in terms of load management systems and the the data that was available nowadays, you can have all that there. But if if people aren't looking out for your best interests and there isn't a collaborative approach, that's where, you know, someone gets let down and that's what happened to me. You know, that's the hardest part for me and I still deal with that. And that's an anger and frustration that I was let down. So that basic communication and putting the athlete first that didn't happen and that's I suppose why I'm retired from Gaelic football and I've had five operations, you know. So would you mind sharing with the audience a bit of a bit about your journey to surgery and that process of going through multiple surgeries? Knowing now that, you know, when I was playing, I had a shallow socket in both both right and left hips. The first time I, you know, knew I was in, in a bad way was after the twenty fourteen season we got off the final played for seven teams for the best part of probably four or five years. And I just knew something wasn't right. Like I was carrying my right leg. I was struggling to walk. I couldn't kick internally. So with a Gaelic football, to use the instep of your foot to curl it, I had no internal rotation. So I knew something was wrong. I suppose it wasn't until I got all that my MRIs and had really had a proper understanding of what was happening. So that was... 2016, you know, so my last game was was 2014. The reason I hadn't got it done in 2015 was I broke my collarbone on a plate and six pins put in. So I had a, probably a break in the season. I probably had a stop-start season where I couldn't really get back to fit, but I knew the hip was the underlying problem. So, But at that stage, we didn't really know what the damage was. So I think that was the hardest part. You know, I was 
I was there hoping for good news and you're in a room on your own and, you know, he's Professor Griffin's coming in telling you that, you know, all your dreams and everything you've done for the last 15 years have just been taken away in one sentence. And that rawness, you know, was just like a grieving. It was just, you know, your your world come crashing down and it was, uh, you know, it'd be something that I'll always remember for all the wrong reasons. And so after that time where obviously you got the news that your joint wasn't probably like you thought it would have been, did you undergo a number of surgeries after that point as well? Or? Yeah, so then I suppose this is probably one of the hardest parts of the whole journey was that Professor Griffin had to figure out what was best for my health. So then and there I knew my career was finished, but it was like, right, you have a joint that is is completely dysfunctional. I had no cartilage left in my right hip. I had bone growth. My socket was completely torn from the bone growth rubbing on it. I had, you know, a deformed uh, femur head. Uh, I had uh, my labrum was completely torn. At this stage, you know, I, I was struggling to get up in the morning. I couldn't, you know, I, I was struggling to walk. It was painful driving, getting out of cars. So as a you know twenty three or or twenty four at that stage, just basic tasks were becoming a nightmare. So it was more now about what can we do to get you healthy, and that led me to getting a hip resurfacing, so a metal on metal on my right side, and that procedure was done in 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 June uh, seventeen. But the problem was is that we knew that the left hip was also damaged. So we had to manage, I suppose, the recovery of the resurfacing to balance up with when I was going to get the repair work done on my left hip, then rehabbing your left and right hip. So that was the challenge for the physio team and my strength conditioners competing or anything wasn't even on my radar at this stage. And I would imagine that process of multiple surgeries and rehabilitation would have been quite quite difficult for you at that point in time. I hadn't even processed that I was retiring, that I lost my identity as a footballer, as a sports person. You know, that was something that I've only been able to manage now in the last number of years. And and that was down to, I think, the wounds had healed, but the psychological trauma was still there. People are there and they help you, but it's, it's a very lonely experience because you're on your own and no one can actually speed up that process. It's just time. The other thing that I probably would have, struggled with was uh, the medication you know your guys on a lot of like for the pain so you're on strong painkillers you were taking oral morphine you know codeine that were pretty heavy for someone that you know i wouldn't have very rarely ever taken medication just how that affected your moods your sleeping patterns and then on top of just the whole frustration of the injury so there's obviously some really um i suppose important learnings for us as healthcare providers in your story, Luke. So if you could give the listeners some important things to consider when they're treating young, active people with hip pain, what would it be? You know, um, like I've had my right hip resurface now six years. You know, there's maybe 15 years max on that. So I think it's that whole lifestyle and kind of life cycle off your joints and how it will what to expect. I think that was something for me, something that I was really unaware of at the time. 
that education, but then also just the relationship, you know, with the surgeons, you know, from, from my view, you know, getting speak with them sometimes can be difficult working more in terms of the physio and the S&C and the surgeon, that holistic approach or collective approach is a better word, that there's a more openness, respect, if you want to put it down to it, and, and an understanding and, and putting the athlete or the individual first. I found at the time was getting my doctor, my physio and my surgeon to be all on the one wavelength was extremely difficult. I'd say it was maybe once or twice to get all them on a Zoom call and the effort to do that and the stress that put me under during my injury. You know, it wasn't until I spoke out of conferences and spoke to the medical people that they realized that. And then the number two thing is just a bit more compassion, you know, and understanding of what's going on. You know, I know an athlete and a physio are, are always very close. I think it's just how you manage the athlete and how you manage their expectations and you know there's obviously better education now from when I went through all that I can't get my career back but if I can make physios aware of one thing that I that happened to me that they never noticed at least you're doing something good there should be the same care for every athlete and that's across all sports and across all codes I think the last thing, which is something that, you know, it's, I don't know what, how many sports do it, but it's like actually analyzing and having standards of care that, you know, each year that they're being reviewed and questioned. And, you know, because I think players and managers, they always get scrutinized, but like, is that same level of detail happening? And, are we then sharing the knowledge that, say, one physio and their team are gathering with someone else? So is that a collaborative approach? I think we can learn from other sports. We can learn from the different medical teams from all around the world. So it's sharing that information and having that accessible. Um, and I think that's really important because what we're trying to do is better people's lives. And, you know, if we're hiding that information, the people are going to suffer is the actual athletes sharing the right information, educating the players and the physios, and then that then is going to allow for better performance, happier, healthier individuals. And you know, thankfully, more people shouldn't be going through what I have to go through and being forced to retire at 24. Obviously, the messages that you're giving us and will benefit everybody, including the athletes, and obviously there's a lot of learnings there. For us clinicians listening to your story, so it's been really great to have you on the podcast today and, and for you to share your journey and stories. So I think at the end of the day, the, the goal here is to improve the care of you know, young people living with hip and groin conditions. And we can't do that unless we listen to the actual um, athletes and the people that have, that have experienced these, these the hip problems during their athletic careers. So a huge thank you from me, and I'm sure the listeners will take a lot out of today's podcast. So thanks for joining us today, Luke. Yeah, thanks, million, Josh. And as I said, if there's any other things that people would like to ask and, and reach out to me, you know, I'm more than happy to answer because it is a quite a journey. And I just hope that people do listen and take on board what the athlete is saying and put them to the centre of everything. So you'll be surprised that when you actually engage more 
and the people engage as a team and a collective approach, you know, the answers will actually start appearing. I really appreciate having me on today. My pleasure. Thanks, Luke. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.